Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Steve Bain, and our goal is to help members of the military and their families crush their post-military career. Today's episode number 387, Navy and DOD Civilian Cool with Michael Talley. Navy Cool is a resource tool to see what you can get from us for free, because that's what we're doing. We're giving away free stuff in the form of credentialing exams, paid upfront when possible, we make every effort to pay upfront so the sailors don't have to come out of pocket. And they get to challenge these credentialing exams for free based on the skill sets that they've earned and learned while they were active duty or reservists in the Navy. Today's interview is the second installment in a series where we take a deep dive into each branch's respective credentialing service. If you're in the Army, you can find your deep dive in episode number 383. In this conversation, I talk with Mike Talley, the director of Navy Cool, and he breaks down all the nuances of the Navy Cool program and highlights the DOD Civilian Cool program. In short, Navy Cool covers credentialing exam fees for all sailors, regardless of rank or compo, for anywhere between 14 and 1600 credentials. Navy Cool has its yearly budget and it's first come, first serve. Sailors can utilize funding for as many credentialing exams as they want, but can only pursue one exam at a time on the Navy's dime. Navy Cool will only fund one exam attempt per credential. Furthermore, Navy Cool will help pay for continuing education units to help sailors maintain their credential once obtained. All links and resources Mike mentions are listed in our show notes. And as always, you can find 386 more interviews just like this one at beyondtheuniform.org. So with that, let's jump into our conversation with Mike. Joining me today from Pensacola, Florida is Mike Talley. Mike, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Hey, thank you. Nice to be here. I always like to uh, promote and talk about our program, so I'm pretty excited that the word's going to get out to a, you know, a larger group of people. Great. Well, before we dive in, uh, I'll read a quick bio for our listeners. Mike served as a, ho- as a hospital corpsman in the Navy, retiring after 20 years of service. After transition, Mike held various customer support and managerial positions with AT&T, Gap, and Old Navy before returning to the U.S. Navy as a civilian employee. Today, Mike is the director of Navy Cool for the Navy's Credentialing Programs Office, and he holds a bachelor's in workforce education and development from Southern Illinois University. Mike, anything else to add to that bio? Uh, No, I think that covers it pretty well. Great. So the meat and potatoes of this interview is obviously talking about Navy Cool and the DoD civilian cool, but uh, before we start, what was your transition like? Why did you get out and how did you eventually find your way back to the Navy in a civilian capacity? So I got out at 20. Uh, The Navy was downsizing at that time, back in uh, 2004-ish. So I I had to retire, um, high year tenure. So I got out of the Navy. I spent a lot of time on shore duty just because of my career path and I got locked into a closed loop NEC for the Navy. Uh, It was aviation physiology. So I spent a lot of time on the stump instructing. And unfortunately, since, you know, we fly in the altitude chamber, take pilots up and get them hypoxic. And then we're in there to make sure that they get their oxygen back on and get back down to the deck safe. Uh, you know, there's no altitude chambers on ships, so sea duty was very limited for me. I did do a tour in Japan, which counted as sea duty, 
Um, I was the aviation safety officer and ground safety assistant officer. Um, so that was a great time. But when I got out, I, uh, I found myself into a, in a great position with the school that I actually earned my degree from, SIU. And I was in a position of uh, assistant academic instructor or advisor. <clears throat> and uh, we were expanding greatly. And then Hurricane Ivan hit, wiped out our office. So long story short, uh, my contract didn't get renewed because our uh, enrollment plummeted. You know, people are more worried about their homes and family at that time because uh, I've been packed quite a bit of devastation into the Pensacola area. So uh, enrollment plummeted. I did a lot of time with uh, uh, retail and big box stores opening and um, moving a couple of big gap stores. Uh, so I did a tour in management with them, which was very eye-opening. I hated it. And then luckily, because of my degree that I had earned prior to leaving the Navy um, and some of my certifications that I held, I was uh, located by a headhunter and asked if I would like to come work for Navy Cool. At that time, Navy Cool was just a pilot program. We haven't even launched the website yet. So I came on pretty much at the ground level of Navy Cool. Uh, there was a lot of the HTML already developed for the website, but we were um, the analysis behind Navy Cool was ongoing. So I got in at the ground level of Navy Cool. And so I've been there uh, pretty much since almost since its inception. That's great. Now, you know, you kind of had the transition journey that a lot of our listeners face where uh, you transition out, things don't go quite as planned or as expected. Sometimes Murphy's Law hits, but uh, pretty fortuitous that you found your way back to Navy Cool as a plank holder now, and you've seen it kind of grow from the ground up. So it's a nice segue to what is Navy Cool? What's what's the 30-second pitch for Navy Cool? For, for those that don't know anything about it, what is Navy Cool? The 30-second pitch that I give sailors when we go out and brief Navy Cool, the program, um, is that Navy Cool is a resource tool to see what you can get from us for free, because that's what we're doing. We're giving away free stuff in the form of credentialing exams, paid upfront when possible. We make every effort to pay upfront so the sailors don't have to come out of pocket. And they get to challenge these credentialing exams for free based on the skill sets that they've earned and learned while they were active duty or reservists in the Navy. Great. Okay. So, so just to be clear for listeners, Navy Cool covers exam fees only, but it does not cover training or textbooks or anything like that, correct? That is correct. And there's a lot of confusion because each of the programs, you know, have been mandated by the National Defense Authorization Act to have Navy credentialing or have credentialing programs. And they were all told to model theirs after the Navy, since we've been doing it the longest and we've been quite successful at it. But in doing so, each of the services set up their own business rules for what they will pay for and who they will fund. So for the Navy, since theoretically, we're paying for credentials that the sailors have already been trained to attain, and that's due to our mapping process, we don't pay for training. In our mind, we've already paid for training and that came from the sailors and Navy training, whereas some of the other services 
it's kind of carte blanche and the sailors can pick whatever they want. And then that service will pay for uh, a certain amount of training. Well, that comes with a cost. And some of those other services, because they pay for training, put caps or a cap, a limit on the amount that the sailors can spend either annually or throughout their career. Navy Cool has no cap. We have a budget. It's first come, first serve. And the sailors can request funding for as many credentialing exams as they choose. Wow. So it's is there a limit to how many they can have going at the same time? Um, great question. They have to, you know, does one have to be finished before they start the next? A great question. Um, so, like I said, there's no limit. The sailors can do as many as they want, one at a time. So once a sailor initiates a funding request and we fund that uh, credentialing exam, the, the funding is in effect at that time, we want them to complete that exam and then report the results back. So that's kind of our four-step process. The first step, I'll probably get into a little more detail shortly, but the sailors have to request funding. We fund the exam. They have to sit the exam and then they have to report the results. We want them to do that within a 60 day window. Once they report their results, they can come right back and ask for funding for another certification exam. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's just a uh, user lose basically and first come first serve. Yeah. So we've never run out of money yet. Um, you know, they are, there are budget cuts going on across all of the services. Um, especially the Navy as they're trying to build up their fleet. But um, to date, we've made it through the fiscal year without running out of money. And to date, we've also funded over 180,000 uh, credentialing opportunities for sailors and DON, Department of Navy civilians. That's Not great. A, it's, it's a specific um, amount of uh, DON civilians. They have to meet a specific requirement and that's to be part of the cybersecurity um, workforce. So cyber IT, cybersecurity workforce, they have to be designated and that's part of some mandatory credentials that we fund. So that's not our voluntary program at all. For voluntary, we only fund um, Navy, active and reserve, enlisted, and active and reserve officers. Okay, and uh, does the credential I'm seeking have to be tied to my career field, or can I pursue something different? If if I know I want to transition and do something completely different from what I did in uniform, can I pursue that exam funding via Navy Cool? Uh, another great question. You did your homework. So uh, initially, when we built Navy Cool, Navy Cool was built as a workforce professional professionalization tool. Uh, it's a hard one to get out. We kind of made that word up, um, but it, it was uh, designed to help sailors in their personal and professional development. So since for years, you know, we train sailors to do a job. We put them in a job. We let them do that job and they don't have to be credentialed like they do outside. But once you step out from the under the umbrella of the Navy and you step into the civilian world and industry, uh, they want you to be credentialed. It, a credential shows competency and it lets an employer know that from day one, you should be working at that industry level of competency 
uh, for the certifications that you hold. So, you know, that was a, a big issue. So we wanted sailors to get credential based on their Navy skill set. So initially, yes, you could only get funded for a credential that mapped to your Navy occupation, and it had to be your current Navy occupation. But as time went on and um, uh, they start talking about Sailor 2025 and, you know, Pond and everyone's talking about giving sailors a little bit more uh, leeway with their detailing and possibly even letting them be detailed to um, other ratings. Uh, maybe if, if they have similar ratings, why can't, you know, uh, uh, an admin rate fill another admin rates billet uh, if it's a hot fill billet. So when they started looking at all that, we started thinking, well, why don't we capture all of the sailor's skill sets? So we started expanding our credentialing opportunities. And the first one, and then most of this came from feedback from the sailors. When we go out and talk to the sailors, we're getting asked these questions. And, and the, the first one we got quite frequently was, hey, I use TA to get my degree. Well, a good example would be an HR type degree. And now I want to get credentialed based on that degree and you know close the loop full circle on my professional development. Well, previously the answer was no. We'll only pay for certifications to map to your Navy job. And if your Navy job wasn't an HR type job, we weren't gonna pay for a SPHR, PHR certifications. Well, we started rethinking that and we're like, why not capture all of their skill sets? If they use TA to earn that degree, why wouldn't we pay for the certification that shows the competencies based on that degree? So we start, we opened it up and we said, yes, we'll pay for certifications based on your degree. Well, then the next question, obviously from sailors was, hey, if I took a class or a course um, on my route to completing my degree that trains specifically towards a certification exam, can I get funding for that? So we thought about that and said, why not? If you're trained directly towards the certification, you know, a, a part of your degree plan prepared you for that exam, why shouldn't we pay it? You know, why do you have to wait till you, till you complete your degree when you can go ahead and challenge that exam while it's fresh in your mind uh, or that knowledge is fresh in your head? So we said, yeah. So now if you're trained towards the exam topics of any certification that's on cool, just has to be listed on cool. It can be on the officer pages. It can be on any rating page. It just has to be on cool because that means it's been vetted through um, accreditation standards. And we can talk about that in a little bit, but it has to be listed on cool. It means it's valuable to the Navy and it's been vetted for our DOD accreditation standards to be listed on cool. So and, if you've been trained towards it, we'll pay for it. Great, and then how many credentials are available on Navy Cool? Uh, it fluctuates. So I just mentioned the DOD accreditation process, and we have a DOD set of uh, accreditation standards that we have all of the agencies uh, self-attest to and submit back to us for screening before we put them on Cool. And that's to ensure that we have quality industry-recognized certifications on all of the program's Cool sites. So um, ours, the Navy's, fluctuates anywhere between 1450 and 1600. We're constantly adding and removing certifications, and we we reassess these agencies annually. 
So if for some reason an agency doesn't return um, the DOD standards worksheet back to us, we drop them off of the website until they do. So we add and remove monthly with our monthly updates. And, and there's other, uh, you know, uh, service related credentials that may or may not appear on one services um, website, cool site. And a good example would be for the Army, you know, they have some veterinarian certifications. Well, the Navy has no need for veterinarian certification. So we don't show those on cool work. They have been vetted and may appear on someone else's cool website. I gotcha. Okay. So I'm a sailor. I find a credential that the Navy's willing to pay for the exam piece. Um, how do I submit my request? Okay. So we have a four step process of participating program. And that's one of our probably the highest asked question that we get through our, our cool feedback and our chat. Um, Sailors so say, how do I get started? How do I participate? Well, the four step process is linked. There's a link to it on the homepage. So if you just, how do I get credentialed? If you click that, it'll walk you through the four step process. The first step is you have to find a credential that you're interested in. Uh, secondly, you have to see if you're even eligible to sit the exam. So these are industry certifications. They're not Navy certifications. That's another misnomer that, that sailors pick up out in the fleet. And they think that the Navy owns these certifications or not. These are the certifications that their civilian counterparts in industry would be getting. Uh, therefore, the agencies that own those certifications set their own eligibility requirements and the sailors have to meet those eligibility requirements. Uh, a lot of times the sailors can do that very easily. Sometimes the eligibility requirements are, are fairly stringent. So the sailors have to find that certification on COOL. If they click on the certification, it'll take them to another page of information where we've gone to the agency's website, extracted certain information out to make it readily available to the sailors. And one of those is the eligibility requirements. So if there's, you know, a five year experience eligibility requirement, the sailors have to meet it. If there's a degree eligibility requirements, the sailors have to meet it. We don't set those, the agencies do. And generally, uh, the routes of eligibility are a knowledge component and an experience component or a combination of both. So one agency may have a route A, B or C, one, two, three or four. And generally, it's, you know, a certain level of degree or knowledge uh, based on a certain type of school or degree, as I mentioned, um, as one route or a lesser degree or knowledge with a certain amount of experience. And then generally, there'll be an experience only route, which is where the, the longest experience time comes in, obviously. So once the sailors determine their eligibility, the next thing they have to do, which is kind of a thorn in their side, is find out when and where they give their exams because every one of these agencies chooses uh, their own exam vendor. But generally, they're like uh, Pearson View, uh, Prometric, PSI exam centers that are located throughout the country, throughout the world. We've had sailors sit exams all across the world. Um, the easiest way to do that is I always tell sailors, just call the agency. Their websites at times are not very user friendly and you can spend a lot of time on there hunting for when and where they give their exams. We have the contact information for the agency right there on cool. 
they can just call the agency and say, hey, I'm Sailor Joe, and I'm interested in sending one of your exams. They can verify their eligibility, and then they can ask them when and where they give their exams. Generally, the agency will say, what's your zip code? And then they'll tell them how many exam centers are within whatever mile radius the sailor want, is willing to travel. We have found that if the um, exam centers are located conveniently to the sailors, like on the way home or actually on base, the sailors tend to participate a lot more. You know, it's just easier. Everyone wants the, the easiest route. So they'll, they'll tend to participate a little more if that is there and readily available. So that's step one. And step one, you know, when you start talking to sailors, sometimes they'll kind of start to shy away from it. But generally, most of the eligibility requirements aren't that tough. And a lot of the agencies recognize military training and will accept military training and experience. Mm -hmm. So once they determine the eligibility, there's a good date and location, they download the voucher request form and send it into us. We have some requirements. I can sum those up quickly. Basically, the sailor has to be in good standing with the Navy and requesting something that they're eligible for and be willing to have it completed in a 60-day window. So they submit the voucher request form. We get the voucher request form to a collective email. We have analysts that work time slots. We try to get through everything from close of business the day prior to close of business the day of, and we do a pretty good job at it. We process roughly 12 to 1500 requests a month and we will either uh reject it and or we will walk you through the rest of the process over your document email so if we reject it we don't just stamp it reject it and send it back we tell you what's wrong with it how to fix it if it's fixable if perhaps the sailor misunderstood the eligibility requirements or we don't see where they're eligible we'll reject it letting them know it's for eligibility and then we can go back and forth with the sailors to see if maybe we missed something in their record or, you know, they have some other experience that made them eligible and we'll work with the sailors. We always screen to approve, not disapprove. Either way, if you, the sailors don't hear back from us in three days, we didn't get it because we never um, go beyond three days as far as contacting the sailors back. So, once we get it, we'll process it. If there's an application process, we'll let the sailors know, walk them through the application process. We'll get the exam funded in the sailor's name and behalf of the sailor. And then at that point, they go to step three of the process, which is just schedule the exam, show up and sit the exam. After that, they have to report their results back to us. Generally, uh, the results are given right there at the end of the exam in the testing center. But some of the weighted exams uh, where they have the questions are weighted and they have to review some experience requirements. Um, they may not get the results immediately, but that's why we have the 60 day window. If the sailor is going to exceed the 60 day window, as long as they stay in touch with us, keeping us abreast of what's going on, we're going to work with the sailors and so they can complete it. So that's the entire process in a nutshell. It sounds like a lot. However, we have had sailors submit a voucher request on Monday, had it funded by Wednesday, had them schedule the exam for Friday or Saturday, come back the following Monday, reporting their results and requesting something new. Great. Yeah, so so it just seems like once you do the research and all the homework on your end, 
the process is pretty smooth and efficient from the approval standpoint, uh, you know, from the Navy Cool perspective. Um, uh, so if I use Navy Cool funding and I don't pass the exam, is there any repercussion to that? Do I have to pay back the funds? That's a great question. So with TA, anyone in the Navy is aware that if you don't make a C, you pay the fee. And when you're talking semester hours, that can be extremely expensive and the Navy wants their money back. For us, um, there's no penalty for failure. So if you fail the exam, you just have to report your results so we can close out your records. The caveat to that is we will not pay for that same exam again. The sailors can come back to us and ask for a different exam and we'll entertain their funding requests and probably fund the other exam as long as they meet all the eligibility requirements. We just won't fund the same exact exam again. If a sailor understands the value, let's say it's some kind of high-end networking management type certification like a CISSP or a GSLC, and they know that that can earn them triple digits on the outside, a lot of times the sailors have now seen the exam on the Navy's dime, reported their failure, but since they understand the value of that certification outside, they go and take it on their own dime. A lot of times the retake is discounted, so they can take it for less than what the original exam costs. Right. And hopefully they pass it. If they pass it, they can report that pass to us. We'll update their record in our database and they can come back to us for renewal fees. So once a sailor's credentialed, we want them to stay credentialed. Um, a lot of times there are CEs, continuing education credits uh, associated with that to maintain the certification. There's also a fee associated with submitting those CEs. We will pick up the fee, allowing them to submit their CEs. Now they have to earn the CEs on their own, and usually you can do that just from what you're doing in the Navy, you, you know, Navy experience. So they have to work with the agency to find out what CEs are eligible. They um, attain those CEs, and then they can request funding to submit those CEs to keep their credential. And we encourage sailors to get credentialed early. We want them to get credentialed early and maintain that credential because it looks better on your resume whenever you do transition out of the Navy. Sure. So the Navy helps you get over the hump with the exam, and then they're also willing to help you pay some of those recurring fees, which which I haven't heard about with any other branch, which which is pretty cool. Uh, no pun intended there. Um, um, so if you know, most people don't really think about credentials until they're staring down the barrel of a transition and. Uh, uh, can you comment on transitioning sailors and the use of cool and if there's any restrictions or guidelines there? Yes, yes. So um, originally uh, we weren't getting uh, the message down to the deck plate sailors from um, senior leadership. So when cool started funding credentials, you know, almost 12 years ago, we were having, we were going out and briefing senior leader, leadership and we were finding that the word wasn't getting down to the deck plates. And when we started talking to the senior leadership, well, they were upset because they were getting ready to punch out and we had a one year requirement for eligibility. So in other words, uh, OpNav, when we wrote the instruction, OpNav wanted some kind of, of payback or obligation for uh, the funding of credentials. 
we said, no, there's no way to make that equitable. And the reason being is, you know, you have some sailors where most of their certifications are within the one to $200 range. And then you got to pay back or obligation for uh, the funding of credentials. Uh, we said, no, there's no way to make that equitable. And the reason being is, you know, you have some sailors where most of their certifications are within the one to $200 range. And then you've got other sailors like aviation who are getting airframe and power plant certifications and licensure done, which is, you know, $1,500. So how are you going to make someone obligate a certain amount of time unless you have some mathematical formula like the VA and that's based on, you know, converting monetary value to time. So we pushed back and we said, hey, how about this? How about for any certification we fund, that sailor has to have at least a year on contract. And OpMath said, yep, that's great. Well, that turned out to be a problem because when we had all the senior leadership, senior chiefs and master chiefs that were um, about to punch out of the Navy and they couldn't be funded for certifications at the last minute, you know, their sweat pumps are going, they haven't done anything. They're not ready to, to transition. Um, they weren't passing the word down to their junior sailors. So what we did was we created a few waivers. We worked with hot nav and we created waivers for, uh, senior military, uh, exiting the Navy. And, you know, our thought process was if you gave the Navy 20 years, you should be able to get a credential. Uh, we, we can waive the one year eligibility requirement and go ahead and fund you so you can get a credential on the way out. So that, that worked well for a while. Um, the word started getting out. Uh, we pushed back to OpNav and said, hey, can we cut this down to six months? They agree because credentialing was in the spotlight. We wanted to shine, we wanted to help our sailors. So for several years, uh, there was a six month requirement on your EAOS or a contract uh, to request funding. Well, then COVID kicked in. Uh, we actually experienced a spike in uh, credentialing exam requests initially. I guess since you know the lockdowns were in place and people were at home, sailors were bored, and they were requesting credentialing exams. Uh, so we pushed back to OpNav and said, "Hey, can we do away with the uh, time and uh, service requirement?" And they pushed back and said, "No, but we'll reduce it down to 60 days." So currently. If a sailor has 60 days left on the books and they can complete the certification exam and report back to us, complete the four-step process before they punch out, we will go ahead and fund the certification exam for them. That's great that, that you're giving the transitioning service member literally up until the last moment to knock out that credential that could potentially be the difference maker from them getting hired or not getting hired. It, we, we push it, you know, to to as far as we could reasonably allow to because we need those results back to close out the funding line in our database. So so we're giving them as much leeway as we possibly can. Sure. And, and you know, you've talked a lot about uh, how you're getting the word out and, and, you know, as you spread awareness of changes in policy, what is being done to make this resource known and marketed throughout the Navy? So we do have a, um, a marketing plan and we have a, a strategic marketing plan. Uh, we were, we did fall under uh, CWIT on Quarry Field in Pensacola, Florida. 
Uh, we recently were transitioned uh, under NETSI, so they moved us up an echelon, and now we fall under the Naval Education and Training Command. So we work with their PAO um, for any kind of PO, PAO um, information that goes out from high level to, you know, down to the sailors. But we also have a travel plan, a pretty comprehensive travel plan. Um, we hit all of the um, the East Coast, the West Coast fleet concentration areas annually. Um, once we hit those areas, we will reach out to all the tenant commands and try to get as much bang for the buck when we're in the area to brief sailors. We like to get in front of sailors. We brief from the live website. We show them how to surf the website, how to use the website. And we also show them a great deal of additional resources that are on Navy Cool that Half of them are blown away because they had no idea that it was there. If they knew it was there, they really didn't know how to apply it towards uh, brag sheets for writing evals or resumes, um, finding out your value, what you're worth on the outside. You know, what am I worth? That, that was hard, a hard transition for me in negotiating my salary. You know, in the Navy, it's no big deal. Everyone, there's a pay scale. If you know how many years you have in service independence, everybody pretty much knows what everyone makes. It's no secret. But one thing for, uh, was a shock to me was when I was working uh, in the corporate world for Gap Inc. If you discuss your salary, uh, especially in a managerial type role, it's ground for dismissal. They will fire you. And it's just the HR, you know, is trying to get the best person for the least amount of money. And when they do that, they don't want inner squabbling between their managers. You know, so that was a shock to me. As a matter of fact, when I start working for Cool, you know, I'm sitting around with a bunch of the analysts and they're asking me what the contract company's paying me. And, you know, I'm like, we can't talk about that. Uh, you know, I just came from the world where that was grounds for dismissal. But we're all retired Navy. What, what are they paying you? You know, so finally I, I told them what they were paying me and they all start laughing and come to find out you know, I was getting paid um, like ten to fifteen thousand dollars less than every one of them. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know your value, you know, you can really get burned. You don't want to jump on the first offer, and you don't want to price yourself out of a job. And Navy Cool has resources built in, with, along with the, in conjunction with the Department of Labor, that can help you find all that information. It used to be a bunch of smoke and mirrors. You know, I'm so old. We used to look at ads in a paper and, you know, the one ads and I'd see x-ray tech would call the hospital or clinic and say, hey, what are you you're pay, What are you paying your x-ray tax? And he got into this whole game with HR. Well, why don't you come in and submit your resume? And then we could talk about it. They didn't ever want to tell you. Well, now all that information's uh, fairly transparent and readily available to you through certain resources. And Navy Cool links you uh, sailors to those resources. But back to the uh, uh, comms plan, if someone, a command, would like a Navy Cool brief, all they have to do is email navycool at navy.mil. And with COVID, our travel is on hold right now, but we can still share our screen and do briefs over uh, Microsoft Teams or Zooms or Blackboard. We've done them on Blackboard. They, all they have to do is request the brief, uh, provide the audience to make it worth our time, and we'll be happy to give a cool brief to anyone. No, that's great. And and you know, in your story, you're you know, you're kind of talking about how 
used to look at the newspaper, you know, for ads and job listings and, and how far things have come. I, I mean, you guys have an app as well, right? Yes, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, we do have an app. It's kind of a, a cool light, but what it does is some of the resources on cool that a lot of people don't think about for the Navy anyway, are we have rating information cards on cool. So a sailor can go to a rating page, open the rating information card. And that used to be real, you know, smoke and mirrors and, and secretive to the recruiters and only the classifiers held those rating information cards. And at the last minute that flip maybe two or three over to you at maps and say, okay, read these real quick and pick your rate. Oh, that's not really enough time to, to think about a decision that could last 20 plus years. So a lot of them are also out of date because they were on hard card stock. We digitized them and now they're housed on cool. Uh, your ladder document, your learning and development roadmap, which tells you what to do from E1 to E9 to be successful in your career is available on cool. The bibs are available on cool. So with the app, what we've done is a lot of these documents are now right there on your phone. So you can see the rating information cards or your ladder document right there on your phone. So we call it cool light. If you do want to request funding, the app will then drive you to the Navy cool website. So you can get the voucher request form and get it filled out. But most of the information is right there and updated monthly right on your phone. Nice. Too easy. Um, we're going to transition shortly to talk about the DoD civilian cool program. But before we do that, any lessons learned or best practices you want to pass to listeners about Navy cool before we switch the topics? Get, get credentialed early and maintain it. Um, we have lots of senior sailors exiting the military that, you know, they're about to get out. The sweat pumps are going. They haven't finished their degree. They don't have any certs. And now they're jumping through hoops to get some higher level certifications. A lot of them have to do with HR because of senior leadership. But um, if I'm an employer and I've got resumes that I'm screening and I've got three guys that have held a PHR at an industry level, maintained it at that industry level for five plus years. And now I've got these two, you know, senior chief, master chiefs from the Navy with an HR background, but they just attained the certification. I'm probably going to lean towards the guys that have been working at that level for an extended period of time. So that's why I say get credentialed early. Let us help you maintain that credential so it looks good on your resume. And, you know, sometimes there's sailors, corpsmen are notorious for this, that I hate patient care. I don't want to do patient care anymore. I want to do IT stuff. We understand that, but the Navy's prepared you extremely well to challenge some of these uh, medical type certifications. And they have a super high passing percentage. I mean, and you'd be amazed how well the Navy has prepared you. So we have to let them know that. And even though you may not want to do that when you get out of the military, you plan on finishing your degree with your GI Bill, et cetera, it's nice to have something to fall back on. You know, I didn't want to do retail, but I fell back on my management skills to do that because I had to work. You know, my office got blown away by the hurricane and I had to get a job. So it's nice to have something in your back pocket, even if it's not your ultimate goal. Sure. Yeah. No, it's sage advice to use the resources you have available to you while you're in uniform 
uh, just to give yourself as many options as possible once you get on the outside. Um, okay, so we'll shift off of Navy Cool now, and uh, you're in a unique situation in the sense that you were there kind of for the founding of the DOD Civilian Cool program. So uh, if you could brief listeners a little bit about how did this program come about and, and what exactly is covered, what isn't covered under the DOD Civilian Cool program. Sure. Um, I need to do a little bit of background. I don't want to, um, you know, get too long-winded, but to understand the whole analysis process behind the Navy school program and most of the cool programs, uh, we originally crosswalked every Navy occupation, including some collateral duties, over to civilian-related occupations with the Department of Labor. We then looked at the certifications that were required to do those jobs on the outside. And that's how we came up with our list of certifications mapped to the ratings. As much as we would have liked to fund everything, we wanted to be good stewards of the taxpayers' dollars, maintain our budget, and set the sailors up for success. So what we did was we then looked at the curriculum and the job task analysis to ensure that the sailors were trained at least towards 80% of the exam topics for the certifications that we fund based on their Navy occupations. So that's how we built COOL originally. Mm. So we were already mapping to those um, occupations. We had always intended to build a Navy a DON civilian COOL basically by using the uh, job series and OPM standards um, for the descriptions and then use the same mapping process for the job specific job series for the civilian occupation. So we built a uh, Navy DON civilian cool. Um, when we built DON civilian cool, it was for informational purposes only. There's no program behind it for funding. If a DON civilian would like to be funded, uh, they have to either reach into their own pocket if they're a veteran, possibly GI Bill reimbursement, or their commands optar. And most commands do have personal professional development money set aside. You just have to sell them that it's of value to the command uh, and you to get that funding. So we built, uh, or we started building DON Civilian Cool. It's, a, it's an ongoing process because one thing I failed to mention earlier is we, do, we don't put, we don't do an analysis on our own um, blindly and put it on cool. We reach out to the Naval Learning Centers and get their buy-in on it and approval before we show the certifications that are placed on cool. So we did the same thing with the DON civilian cool. We wanted to reach out to the subject matter experts and of that job series so we could, um, get buy-in and approval for what we were putting on DON Civilian Cool. Well, we built it. Uh, we were not, haven't completed all the job series at that time, but other services were showing great interest and in asking questions about DON Cool, asking what it would take for them to build their own services, Civilian Cool site. Well, uh, DOD started asking questions about it, and Mr. Boris Kuhn up in DOD is like, hey, y'all are using OPM, you know, Department of Defense information to build this. Why do we need to build another one? So the, the next logical step for DON, cool, was to go to 
you know, step it up to DOD cool. That way all the services already have a product and they don't each have to build one. So now we have DOD cool. Uh, there's also a DOD cool programs landing page. So if, if you go on Google and you just put in a cool website or something like that, you get a variety of cool links. Um, one of them may be the DOD cool page. And if you land on it, it's got high level information about all of the services, cool programs. And then it has links that can jump you to each one of the services, cool programs, including DOD civilian cool. Okay, great. And, and so just to reiterate, there is currently no funding mechanism for DOD civilians to pursue credentials. The DOD cool website is a repository of information so you can see what credentials your position has on the outside world, basically. Um, yes, but I wouldn't say there's no mechanism for funding. There's no um, funding identified for a program to fund civilians. There okay. is a mechanism for funding, which is to go through their command and try to get their command to fund it. Understood. Yeah, but but you know, there's no you know, there's no pool of money like there would be on Navy Cool or Army Cool or something like that for the DOD Correct. civilian. To, okay. Do you know if 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 that has any plans of changing anytime soon? Well, that that's up to DOD, and if DOD identifies a, a funding line to to create that program, uh, the Navy we would surely go ahead and, and we could run it for them. All they'd have to do, you know, is Mipper us the money, get us the money, and we would track it separately, just like we do the cybersecurity workforce. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. So, anything else uh, that you want to say about the DoD Civilian Cool Program before we kind of wrap the interview? Mm, no. Again, it's an excellent resource for personal and professional development for the civilians. And it's just another resource tool. And the same links. Um, are available at the bottom of the page that crosswalks the, the um, civilian job series over to the Department of Labor's occupational codes or titles, and they can still use that to go to the Department of Labor's page where they can find the occupational analysis with all the keywords from industry, which is an excellent resume writing tool. So, so it has the same resources built in as Navy Cool because we built it modeled after Navy Cool. Understood. Okay. Cool. Well, in summation, uh, you know, we've we really covered a lot of ground today, but uh, are there any other recommended resources that you want to recommend for listeners? That could be books, podcasts, websites, whatever kind of comes to mind. Yes. On Navy Cool, uh, I refer to it as the hamburger menu. In the top right corner, there's uh, the three lines or four lines, um, which indicates a menu. If you click on that, we have a resources link in there with a huge, huge amount of uh, re valuable resources and links um, from Safari books online where you can get free study materials um, to all sorts of veterans assistant links. So it, it just click on that page, go to resources and links, and you will find uh, just a library of informational and supportive links for the active duty uh, reservists and veterans. Awesome. Well, for listeners, I'll make sure I link 
to that in the show notes, as well as the email address that Mike mentioned earlier to get in touch with Navy Cool. But uh, Mike, is there anything else you want to add before uh, we say farewell? I, I think that's it. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, promote the program and get this information out to, you know, a large variety of people. So I, I assume that there'll be a lot of veterans, you know, that may tune into this and listen to it. And if they want information on how they can utilize cool as a veterans resource, since we don't fund veterans, you know, that would be a VA program. We can show them how to manipulate and find information on cool that can help them in determining their value, what they're worth outside, and uh, excellent resume writing tools. Awesome. Well, very much appreciate your time, your service, and your continued service helping our sailors both on active reserve duties as well as after they've transitioned to the other side. Mike, thanks so much for your time today. Absolutely. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our Chief of Staff, Steve Bain, our Editor, Lex Brown, and our Head of Social Media, Janelle Han. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.